Uh, before we get started, uh, I want to give a, a quick update on where we're going to be in the scriptures over the next uh, couple weeks. Um, after today, we're going to be taking a uh, we're going to be taking a short break out of the Gospel of Luke, and next week, um, uh, Brother Kenny is going to be preaching, uh, and he's going to be preaching a sermon that the Lord has been laying on his heart for many weeks now, and so we're looking forward to that. That's December 31st, um, and then uh, after that, as we get into the uh, new year, we are going to have uh, Pastor Bill preach us a short series through the book of Jonah, through the book of Jonah. So take note of, of that starting in January, the, the book of Jonah, the, the sovereign God, the sovereign missional heart of God. And so we invite you all to be a part of that. I'm really excited about that sermon series, um, and I wanted you to be aware of it. If you go to our website and see uh, on the resources page the upcoming sermons, we actually have all this listed out for like months now. But just in case you didn't know, just to kind of give you an update of what's, uh, what's going on over these next couple weeks. So January will be uh, Jonah. January, Jonah. Jonah, January. Makes sense. Um, and so I, I reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to mention that is, number one, not to surprise you when that happens. But number two, what we want to do, and including putting those things up on our website, is we want to encourage you to study the book of Jonah. Right? So you have a whole month to study four uh, four chapters of the book of Jonah. So I really encourage you to do that, to, to pray uh, uh, as you consider the scripture, as you are going to receive and hear the word of God preached every Sunday morning, and as you can also pre pray for uh, your brothers as they uh, preach uh, over these next couple uh, weeks. So, so that's what we have over the next couple weeks. Uh, very exciting uh, for me. I love it. I love hearing the diversity of the scripture being preached. Uh, and, and such. I'm thankful for, for that and thankful for, for men who could stand in as well and kind of give us a little bit of a break from Luke. I mean, we've been there for a long time, so uh, give us a little, little time off and then we, Lord willing, February we'll, we'll kick back up in Luke if I'm not dead or whatnot, so unless someone picks it up, you know. All right, so the, let's get into today. So Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be um, this morning. We've finished chapter 7 and now we're moving into chapter 8. Um, sometimes temptation is when we look at the scripture and we see those, those wonderful subheadings and we see the chapter verses and the chapter headings and, and things like that. Sometimes we can be tempted to divide the scripture uh, unintentionally, right? Unintentionally. It's just, just kind of the way that we read or maybe the way that we study. Uh, just, just could be flat out ignorance, right? We can just kind of read these as isolated passages and not really put them... Uh, together. Well, we don't want to do that, so let's kind of make sure that we understand chapter 7 really quick before we jump into 8, because these things are flowing together. There's, there's this, this narrative of the gospel of Luke is being brought together for a certain reason so that we see the certainty of Jesus Christ, right? And if that's the case, he's building a case as we go along through these, through these chapters. So chapter 6, he finished the sermon on the plain. Right? He finished the Sermon on the Plain, and on the Sermon on the Plain, he, he preached these new realities of the coming kingdom of God. Right? He preached these, these amazing new realities like love your neighbor and love your enemy even if he slugs you in the face kind of stuff. Right? So the new realities, new garments, new wine, new wine skins, and they can't mix with the old. Brand new. And we saw this upside-down reality taking place when Jesus encounters the centurion's servant, 
that needed to be healed, right? A Roman soldier, a Gentile, who blows Jesus away by, by his faith. By his faith. A Gentile blows him away. That seems pretty like upside-down reality, isn't it? Blows Jesus away. And, and then the, 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 um, the healing, the resurrection of the, the dead young man uh, healing the, the widow's son from death. Wow, Jesus speaks to the dead, he comes alive. That's pretty upside-down. Dead people don't live speaking to the coming realities of the kingdom of God. He also then encourages John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is in prison. He's, he sees what these things are happening, and John's like, when are you going to come free me? I mean, I, I think that's what he's kind of getting. I see you, you know you're, you're fulfilling Isaiah, the Isaiah 61 passages and others, Isaiah 36 as well, and, and what, why aren't you getting me? You said you're going to set the captives Free, where, are, where am I in this picture as I'm rotting here in Herod's jail? But Jesus encourages him and says, no, this Messiah has come, shows these miracles. He encourages him, he affirms him, even in his unbelief. And then at the end of the passage, he shows who really has unbelief. The rejection, the rejecting unbelief of the Pharisees who completely missed it. And then that is illustrated to us uh, in the next story, I think we, talk, we talked about that last week, of Simon the Pharisee, who invited Jesus over to his house, and yet completely neglected him in the basic hospitality. But when a woman of the city with a reputation comes into the home and loves Jesus by washing his feet with, his, with her tears and weeping and anointing his feet with oil, Jesus shows us what love looks like in the kingdom of God. You can go back and you can listen to those sermons. They're on the website, podcasts, things like that. But it moves us into our passage uh, this morning. Helps us understand even the, the context of what's happening in Jesus' ministry. Now, I want to let you in on um, kind of how I, I do things uh, in, in preparing to uh, teach and preach week in and week out. Uh, I've been learning quite a bit over the last uh, two years since we've been gathering and, and, and been uh, learning the steps again of, of practicing good preaching and teaching habits of exposition and studying and preparing and taking notes and, 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 and doing these things. Usually my outlines change four or five times over the, over the week. Um, and then the sitting down and writing and all that stuff. Um, I, I usually get a bulk of my writing done on on, on Friday, so if I don't answer my phones on Friday or something like that, it's because I'm totally disconnected to the world, uh, trying to get, get things done and, and get prepared for, uh, for Sunday. But the thing that I wasn't expecting, of course, I was expecting all of that, the exposition and the languages and things like that. And that was the stuff that I was trained to do, and I was, I was ready for that. But the thing that I was not in, in, expecting about preaching, and I'm, call, I'm being honest here, is I wasn't expecting the anticipation that led up to each Sunday, the anticipation that led up to each Sunday, especially that time between uh, Friday afternoon when I get done and Saturday, our Sunday morning when we show up here and we're doing what we're doing now. So usually Fridays, I'm done about 5 o'clock is kind of when I, I try to be done. Most of the time, that's when I'm, uh, I'm done with all my writing and everything that I want to say and more is on, the, is on the computer screen, ready to go. 
But I wasn't expecting the anticipation to preach and then what it would do to me in that time. At first, um, you could talk to Christina about this too, um, is, is I kind of didn't even know how to handle it. I, I kind of didn't know how to handle it. I was, I was I, on Friday night and Saturday, I'm, I'm, I'm just restless. I'm, I'm just restless. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm home, but I'm not really home. You know, knock, knock, McFly, anybody home? No. Sorry. I'm there, but I'm not really there. My body's there. I'm hanging out. I eat. I can enjoy some time with my family. But in my mind and in my heart, I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I'm in my sermon and, and I'm, I'm thinking and I'm praying for, for you and I'm praying for the church and how they would receive God's word. That, that's the anticipation that I wasn't expecting. My, my heart and my soul weekly is stirred deeply on the text and the, and the spiritual gravity of preaching the gospel week in and week out to those who will hear and those who will not hear. Those who have the ears to hear and those who will, don't have the ears to hear. Now, it, it took some time for my wife and I, relationally, to understand what was happening because what it looked like to her was I was just completely checking out. Like, that's what it looked like to her. It's like, what's wrong with this moron, you know? Why is he not, like, checking in here? Why can't we have a good conversation kind of thing? But I'm losing it. I'm out of it. I'm preparing. And this is something that I wasn't expecting. This is what was happening to our, our family and my wife. Now she's become uh, understanding to my absent-mindedness and my absent-heartedness to, to her and to the family every weekend. And she even lets me go hide away uh, a portion of the Saturday in my office. Uh, the fall, it's been a deer stand. Um, and outside, if I just need to go outside, mow the lawn, whatever it may be, um, because I need time to process this and think and pray and consider what the Lord has for us each and every Sunday morning. My wife has been very kind and gracious in freeing me up uh, to do that. So this anticipation, though, is not really just kind of excitement. I'm ready to preach. So that's something that I'm just like, I'm ready to, to preach, but it's this weight. It's this, it's this weight of this responsibility that the Lord has, has given to the, to the preacher to proclaim the gospel to the church week in and week out. And, and understanding that gravity and feeling that gravity is that anticipation that, that I feel. And so, honest with you, when I, when I get done on Sundays, I go home and after I eat my hot dog, that's what we usually eat on Sunday afternoons, after I eat my hot dog, I am gone. I am out. I, I, can't, I can't focus anymore. I'm so tired. Emotionally, physically. Now, now this is the... And, and part of that is because of the, the words that we preach, the words that we read in the Scripture, this sweet aroma of God's Word. To, to most of us it is, but to others it is a stench of death. You feel that. You feel that. You, you, can, you, can, you can see that. So we wrestle accordingly. So it affects me every week. This is the weight that we have to bear as a teacher and preacher, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for God's kindness and his patience in me. And that's how I feel, bearing these warnings and the weight of God that he's placed upon me as a preacher. But this morning, what Jesus puts in this passage here is he shows us the listener the warning and the weight that he puts on the listener to hear and to listen and to take care and listen. 
And we see this reality that is sobering. That is sobering when we understand it of the spiritual reality that's taking place every single time the scripture is proclaimed and taught. Will it fall on deaf ears? Will they hear but really hear? Or see and really see? Look at Luke chapter 8. You see what I mean? Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and the villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of the evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, who had many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered, and the people from town after town went and said to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some of the uh, fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what, what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and when time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known to the light or come to the light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more, who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hear, hear, hear the word. I'm not going to spend much time with verse, verses 1 through 3. You see there that there's an emphasis on these three women and the ministry of, of Jesus. And um, we'll see these women throughout our discussion in 
in, in Luke, but once again, what a, uh, a, a, an affirmation of these women in the ministry of, of, of Jesus. Uh, love that, uh, particularly coming right off of um, the last week's story, right? Passage of the, of the woman of the city. Um, really important to see that there and how those things are flowing together and what Luke is trying to, uh, trying to show us here. Now, so he gets off. These women are following Jesus, and they're even providing. You see that they're, they're providing for ministry. And Jesus goes, and he begins to teach again. And we see kind of this wide open teaching ministry of Jesus. Um, Jesus is teaching to this uh, this huge, huge crowd again. Um, some some even would say, and, and I've heard, I saw this that uh, some would say that this was probably the largest crowd Jesus ever drew was maybe this day. And actually, Luke chapter 4, the, para, uh, the parallel story, uh, it's so crowded around the lake that the people were so far up around the lake there. There's kind of like this amphitheater kind of setting that Jesus gets in the boat and kind of scoots off into the water and, and teaches that way. Now, what's interesting about this story is because of this great crowd, large crowd, Jesus out there, we, don't, we really don't get anything that Jesus is teaching, except we know he's preaching the gospel. And then at the end, he gives us this, this parable. This parable. So Jesus is drawing this, this huge crowd. Now, one thing that we can come to expect from Jesus, if we haven't seen it already in the Gospel of Luke and even the other Gospels, is that when it comes to these large crowds, Jesus is completely unimpressed. He is, he is unfazed by this perception of popularity that he has. In fact, John chapter 2 kind of gives us an insight into this and, and that Jesus says that, uh, that he, didn't, he, didn't, he doesn't trust the crowds. He didn't, he didn't trust the, the crowds, those who were following. It even says those who were following and trusting in his name, he didn't trust them. And it, and it says, John actually tells us there in John chapter 2, at the very end, and he says, because he knew what was in man. And so Jesus, seeing this large crowd, unfazed, unimpressed by these large crowds that he was drawing over and over, day in, uh, day out. He wasn't impressed. And so this, this tells us that, these, that these, these crowds are not necessarily a, uh, the temperature of, of a successful ministry, is it? Because we know at the very end, most everybody abandons Jesus. So the backdrop of this well-known parable is a huge crowd. And Jesus ends with this parable, the parable on the sower. This parable of the sower, and we, we call it the parable of the sower, but really it's a, a parable about the soils, the, the ground where, the, where the, the seed is, is, is slung to and it lays down on these, these different parables. And, and Jesus gives us this, this parable at the seemingly the end of his teaching here because, because he is concerned with the people on how they are hearing and what they are hearing because he knows them. He knows many of them have come to only sample this popular celebrity's spiritual teaching. To, to come in and, and to see something miraculous like he's at a circus, or they're at a circus. It's, it's kind of like the, peop, the, the people, and, and I, I, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I used to do it in college. I was poor, but I used to go to Sam's and just eat free, the free samples for like lunch. 
but I wouldn't buy anything because I couldn't afford anything. Right? That, that's, what that, that's what they're seeing here. Right? You know, the, you just change your mask and you kind of go to the next thing and try that quesadilla seven times. Well, I don't know if I'm going to buy it again. Let me try it. Right? And that's what Jesus is, is seeing here. These free samples but not buying anything. Not, 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 not a successful ministry here. These people, because, because their, their, their human heart was not interested in the kingdom of, of, of God. And, and, and by the fact of their listening, some of them were coming over and over and over again to hear Jesus. They were becoming more and more hardened to believe the gospel. That's what happens. And this is what the parable of the sower is about. This is, the, this is what the parable of the four, the four soils is about when the gospel lands on the hearts of men. I love how verse 9 starts things out when Jesus uh, begins kind of explaining what's going on, right? right? It, it kind of really lets us in, people like me, who aren't very smart, that be able to say to Jesus, uh, Boss, <laughs> can you cue me in a little bit on this, what's going on? I love that. I love the honesty there, and I hope that encourages you too. That, that even those who were closest to Jesus didn't really know what he was talking about. And yet Jesus graciously answers. Look at verse 10. And this is very important for us to understand as the, as the foundation of these four soils. This is, what he, this is what he says in verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are parables. Maybe they're just stories. They just sound good, good illustrations. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. So this, this verse proves that what I was saying earlier in, in my preparation stuff, right, that the weight that we, we feel is that despite the, the seeds of the gospel that are, that are preached at every single time that the word of God goes out, some are just not going to understand it. Some are just not going to comprehend it and be able to understand it. And for others, it will soften. But yet for others, it will harden. And the reasoning for that softening and hardening comes down strictly to God's sovereign choice. To God's sovereign choice. And that this is how God, in the preaching of His gospel, how He chooses to sovereignly display His mercy and His justice and His grace and His mercy all at the same time. How awesome is that? <laughs> how sovereign is our God? And so Jesus spoke in parables because of this. Because God would reveal His salvation to who He wills and who He will not. And this isn't popular, right? This isn't popular. This isn't the kind of stuff that's going to build ministries and churches into big crowds. This isn't going to draw the things. But this is what he says to his apostles. And now he says through his apostles, through his word, to the church. And this is to be encouraging to God's elect. Because despite the acceptance or the rejection of the word of God, as we preach it and as we spread the word of God, we can believe and be assured that God is sovereign. We can stand upon that theological foundation. And so that informs how we look at these four soils, doesn't it? Doesn't it inform how we, we see these four soils or these four hearts? Let's look at the first one. 
Verse 12, you see the, you see the, first, uh, the first scenario here, the first soil and scenario that, that Jesus tells us about. That this soil is so hard that there's a quick response of, no thank you, not for me. The beaten path of the field, hard as pavement. The soil just lays on top of the rock until it's crushed or stolen or taken taken away. The biblical example of what we've been seeing over and over again is the Pharisees. It just falls on deaf ears. Can't see it. They can't hear it. For many, even for us today, the rejection of the gospel is because they're just too busy. They're too busy with the coming and goings of life, and life just hardens our hearts. And they're not stirred for God's truth. For others, it's no more than sports, and a beer, fishing, or hunting, movies or games, friends and relationships, and on and on and on and on and on and it goes. Life is too good to believe such a thing. For others, God's word, they reject God's word because they don't believe in objective truth. They don't believe in uh, objective truth, and truth can't be known. Right now, the, the, the God of uh, most of our society is science, a God that changes very often and changes his mind very often. And therefore, I can't believe. And so these things quickly influence us and snatch us away, snatch away the seed of the gospel. This is the, the hard-heartedness of, of many and I'm sure for many of you, you can think of these people. Think of people that God has put in your life where this has happened over and over and over again. And by the way, just the example of the Pharisees, that they can be churchgoers. <laughs> the hard-heartedness. I, and, and speaking of the churchgoer, I remember when I was young, I sat under the preaching of the gospel for several years. That was trampled on snatched away by life and my, what I wanted until God until God intervened and God plowed up the, 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 uh, the soil that was so hardened in my own heart now, I may not have been like the Pharisee or I may not have been like a, a militant atheist that everyone likes to pick on but nonetheless my heart toward the gospel was hard, I couldn't hear it I couldn't hear it in my heart. I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear it. What about you? What about you? Do, you? do you remember the time when your heart was hard? When you, wouldn't receive, when you wouldn't receive until the Lord gave you the eyes to hear and the ears to see? Or the ears, to, you know what I mean. Before you could see the loveliness of Christ and the ugliness of your sin and your rebellion toward God, do you remember? Do you remember when the plow of God God's word broke up the hard ground of your heart and he wooed you to himself. That's the hard hearts. The second we see in verse 13 is the shallow heart. The shallow heart. It says, And the one on the rock are those who, when they hear the word and receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time, they, in testing, they fall away. Now, 
in South Georgia, it's kind of a, like a illustration maybe we don't understand because you dig a hole, you could dig for like a mile before you even see a rock, right? You go up north and North Georgia is a little bit different, but here you can dig a mile and, and you just never will see a rock. You'll hit pine tree roots before you hit anything else, right? You know what I'm saying? In, 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 a, in a bunch of sand. But in Palestine, there was only, in most places, only like a two to three inch layer, thin layer of dirt before you hit like bedrock, right? So it's a desertous place, right? Um, and so this kind of help you a little understand. So when seeds fell on this soil, they would, they would find something to, to, to germinate in, right? Is that the proper scientific word? Germinate, right? Before it grows, before the, the seed sprouts. So it, would, it, it could show signs of, of life, but when the sun arose, it would dry it out because it had no deep roots where the water sources were, and, and it, would, it, would, it would die. It had no roots that would sustain that, that would be able for it to sustain life. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, this is tough. Not hard to understand, but it's, a, it's tough because it is a gut-wrenching reality. It is a gut-wrenching reality to watch this take place and play out in real life. And if you're in ministry long enough, or if you're just kind of pressed into the body of Christ and, and the community, and you actually love people and you're caring for one another, and you see people walk away from the church because they have no roots, is hard. It's gut-wrenching to watch them abandon the faith. Over my years of ministry, I've seen students who would, would do this over and over again. They, you would see a quick growth and then death. So he's talking about people, and just to kind of help it, let me boil it down to a, a reality for us, what we can understand. I think he's talking about people who can just kind of point back to a, an, an event. They can point back to an event in their life where they say, I have prayed a prayer, I have walked an aisle, I have heard the message, I agreed to it, I said yes to it, and yet from the very moment on, from that point on, there is absolutely no objective evidence of any regeneration or any transformation and conversion at all. None. The only thing that they have is the point back to an event, a time. And yet there's no objective evidence of any kind of transformation in their life. Like we saw last week, no love for Jesus. They've never grown. They've never grown in their love for Jesus. They've never grown in their worship for Jesus because the only thing they have to point back to is an event where they walked an aisle and they repeated a set of words. And words do not save us. Walking an aisle does not save us. At best, this is the per they, they got baptized maybe. At best they got baptized and, and then they conformed their life to a certain uh, moral code. But the reality is, is there's been no transformation by the Holy Spirit, which is indicative of their love for Christ. There's only a shallow presence, a shallow presence of a new set of morals and maybe church attendance. That's it. But there's no, there's no roots. There's no, there's no roots to, to, to love. To, to loving Jesus and to humbly repent. They're, they're completely unwilling to pray, right? This is the difference between the Pharisee and the woman like we saw last week. 
This person is completely unwilling to repent humbly and create any kind of depth in their life. To stay shallow. And so when there's no roots or any depth, what's the result? What's, what's the result? Death. And it doesn't take a tropical storm to blow the thing over. And this is what Jesus tells us. Those that have received a message gladly, but they don't have any roots. And so how does it play out? No roots. You're eventually going to go off into two ways. License, which means you're just going to go back off into sin. That's what that looks like. You're just going to go back into sin because the treadmill is just too hard to run on. Or the second way is legalism. Is legalism. Legalism to control, to manipulate, to your own set of moral codes, and then you'll start requiring others to abide. If, if not those, then, then something else will be revealed that shows your treasure was never in Jesus. But when something else, they disappear. You notice how they disappear? As if they never was a seed in the first place. They're gone. This is the same. This is the same end for the shallow ground. For the shallow ground on the rocky soil. This is the, the nominal Christians that we have spoken about over these years. The nominal Christian. They're only Christian in, in, in name only. In name only. There's a shallowness there. And what we see is eventually that sun is going to rise and they will be scorched. That's the shallow heart. The next one is the divided heart. The divided heart. Verse 14, it says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. If anyone's ever had a garden, you know exactly what's going on here. I mean, this is like straight up out of Genesis 3 if you have a garden. I mean, you know the thorns and thistles. You're like, who threw seeds of whatever weeds this is in my garden? And then you realize it was because of sin. And then you're like, darn me, right? Um, if you had a garden, you, you'd know. Um, and if you let your plant or your, your, your weeds grow long enough, uh, um, they will violently choke out life of your, of your garden. Um, it's, it's a never-ending battle, though, right? I mean, it's nonstop. Um, and it will choke out life before it can produce fruit. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about in the case of the man and woman who hears and receives the gospel, right? So it, it seems like it's received well. It's, it's good ground. It's not shallow. They're receiving it. But as they begin to, to do life, Right? As, they, as they begin to, to, to live a life, you see in the passage there, there's like this invitation to this person to then now walk in obedience to the commands of the gospel. To actually walk now in the gospel and what you say you believe. To walk in it. And that's where the, this person, in this third soil, what, there's, there's these thorns that begin to pop up. These weeds begin to pop up. These are people who don't listen, do not follow, 
Jesus' commands, the fruit that they produce. We see God's design on how we are to live our life in the way that glorifies Him and images Him throughout Scripture. He has called us to be obedient to his, to his commands. Those who are following Christ, those who believe Jesus Christ, we are called to follow Him, and it's by His design. And now for whatever reason, this third person, for whatever it may be, whether it be because there's no instant gratification in Christianity, or if it's too difficult, or they just flat out are stubborn and they don't want to, the end result is that they are choked out. Slowly choked out. All life is removed. And this is another tragic scenario, just like the one we saw before, because it's happening all the time. People who knowingly continue in sin and rebellion against God as if God is the enemy of their joy and their pleasure. This is the thorns that we let grow that will choke us out. So what people are willing to do, they trade whatever those cares, whatever those pleasures of life are, they trade those for deep life and roots and intimacy with Jesus. And when you think about it, I mean, if you could just really be objective, there are some dumb things we trade intimacy for. There are, some, there are some really dumb things. There are some dumb things I have traded for. I mean, think about the, the rich young ruler. Right? The rich young ruler is a great example of this because when it came down to it, this is a guy who was not, was not willing to give up his wealth and all of his prestige and all of his popularity and all of his pleasures of life for intimacy with the Son of God, staring him in the face. And what did Jesus say at the end? What is it for man to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? Let me tell you what this looks like. How many men and women have traded intimacy with Jesus Christ for cheap things like pornography? What a horrible scale. A horrible trade, I mean. But we can also trade intimacy with Jesus Christ on even what we would consider lesser things and maybe things that are okay like our phones. We have greater intimacy with our phones than we do with the Son of God. Traded or entertained by these pleasures of these glowing lights before us. Uh, I read a statistics, something, something like 80% of millennials said the one thing that they can't live without is their phone. I mean, it's not even air, right? I mean, you think one thing you can't live without, I mean, I mean we're... A, society of science, we should say, oxygen, man. Give me O2. But no, it's our phones. You see it, people in the driving. You see it, people everywhere. They won't even look up. We can be slaves to these things. We've traded so much intimacy to be entertained. And we get to walking and hearing the scriptures calling us to obedience in these things. And we begin to kind of feel and see that there is, a, there is something not working out there. And, and we find ways to excuse it, don't we? We find the excuses to justify why these things are still okay in, in my life. Or we just say flat out, I, I, I can't do it. I'm going to give up on oh, obedience. These are the things that will choke us out. 
and they choke life out of us. But what Christ has intended us to be is not to be choked out, but to grow up in the maturity. That's, that's what they're missing. They're not growing in maturity. This person will never grow up in the obedience of the Scripture, or the obedience in the Word. And obedience in the Word is what then leads us to life full and life abundant and, to, and deeply. And we trade it for such trivial and trite things. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The divided heart. And the last one, we finally get to a good one. The good seed, the good heart. Now, the economy of sowing seeds of the gospel three out of four fall on deaf ears. Preaching the gospel is a long-term process. This is just another example why we need the preaching of the gospel every week. If you're like me, you need it multiple times a week. (laughs) And praise God. Thank you for his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 15. It says, And for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So however the word of God is spread, wherever it goes and however it is sown, it must fall on the good heart, the honest heart. Right? And we can put this back in context with verse 10. The honest and good heart is the one whom God has willed to show the secrets of the kingdom of God. Right? So connect those, those dots here. So God is working in this person's heart. God is willing and working in this person's heart to receive the word of God. Now when this person hears the word, they hold it fast. And they hold it fast with an honest heart which means when they hold it fast and they hold it with an honest heart, means they do not try to explain away their, their obedience or disobedience. And they don't need Jesus to explain obedience. They don't justify sin. But they're honest and they submit themselves under the word of God, believing that it is for their good in all things. So the sins, the pleasures, the cares of this world, they do not matter to them because when the word of God falls on the good heart, they trust the Lord. They repent and they trust the Lord and they are willing to do whatever it takes to live in that light, to live in that reality, which then gives the scripture, the word of God, its full effect in the heart. It doesn't hide, it doesn't manipulate, it doesn't give excuses or explain away or lie, but it deals with the truth. And then it says it holds fast. It holds fast. I really love what that says there, holding fast. Because that speaks to me some of, of perseverance. I mean, everything in this life that comes quick is just cheap. And that's pretty much everything now, right? 
But what he's speaking of is what, what lasts. This sanctification is a process of believing and trusting and believing and trusting in faith and believing and trusting in faith. Somewhere in there is mixtures of joy. This holding fast unto the Word of God. Holding fast to what He gives us so that the roots will go deeper and deeper and deeper. There's no end to the depth on which our roots could grow. They're, they're inexhaustible. Like you're not going to dig a hole to China. And look at the outcome of the seed falling on the good heart. It says they're going to bear much fruit. You look back, back forward or back above, it says that produces a fruit of a hundredfold. That's a lot. Right? I mean, anybody getting them kind of returns? Really? I mean, I, let me in. Right? Bitcoin, that may be the closest. Anybody getting those kind of returns? A hundredfold. Once again, with patience. You see that with patience. It's waiting and over and over, trusting in God. And He's working and willing. And yet we are just going to always be open and always be free to submit ourselves under the, the Scripture. Matthew speaks of this growth not just as a hundredfold, but he speaks of it as exponential. Right? He says 20, or 40, 50. He speaks of it as uh, exponential. And that's how it grows. It's not instant gratification. It is, it is what grows over time. And this fruit is bared in us with patience. I got a lime tree that I've been waiting for it to produce limes. And the first year we had it, it produced a couple limes. But that stupid freeze we had about March last year ruined it. So I'm giving that one a pass. But this year I'm expecting some limes. I don't know what to do with limeade. I'm expecting some, some lines because that's how when the tree gets bigger, it grows more. And this fruit is, is exponential. And this is what he is talking about. This fruit comes with patience. And we hold fast to the Word of God. We hold fast to the Word of God day after day, step after step by step, no matter how long it takes. If you think that this is just a four-week, 12-step process, then you've come to the wrong building. This is a huge distinction, isn't it? Between the rocky soil and the thorns. Because the one who, wait, who has the good soil waits. And they trust. And they have faith. Let me show you now, make a connection between why we should hear. Why we should take care and hear. Jesus changes the metaphors. You can see he's verse 16. Changes the metaphors. He does that all the time. To trick us out, right? From fruit to light. And this is what he's saying. Look at verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under the bed but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. So when the word of God falls on the good soil and it begins to bear fruit, brothers and sisters, when the, when the word of God falls on the good soil of your heart and it begins to bear fruit and much fruit, perseverance implied here, it's not, over, it's not one of those things. If you're expecting it to walk out and all of a sudden there's going to be apples popping out on the tree, it's not going to happen. We trust, we wait. But when it falls on the good soil and we, we, we bear much fruit, then, then we become a light for all to see. And we're put on a lamp that we cannot be hidden. 
the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our lives is meant to be a light shining in the darkness of this world. So that they may see who we are abiding in. Verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and will come to light. Take care then how you hear, for those who has, who has more will be given, and the one who has not, not even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Let me explain to you what that means. This is very important in understanding what's happening here in these, these different soils in the hearts of the people. For, for all those who receive the word of God and, and it falls on, on, on good soil, those who hear the word with an honest heart, holding fast with patience, they will produce good fruit and that fruit will be a light to the world. We just talked about that, right? A testimony of the goodness of Christ. And then more will be given, right? This, this, will be, this is exponential. Do you see that? So once again, speaking of that, that exponential abundant life and joy that is produced in, in, our, in, in our lives, the more that's produced, the more that it comes more grace, grace upon grace, and mercy upon mercy. The sweetness and the loveliness of Christ becomes sweeter and more lovely than anything else. More and more is, is added. We begin to experience the, the ever-expanding glory of God. The vastness of God. The majesty of God will become our food so that when we do eat good food, we can give glory to God because He created it. And He gave it to us as a good gift to enjoy Him. It's, it's, knowledge, it's the knowledge and that is in joy that is given to us that is inexhaustible. But for those who won't listen, for those who, who can't listen, who can't hear, will not be obedient and what they think they have will be taken. That's the scary scenario there. That's, that's the scariest of those other soils that, that even though they think they have, the Pharisee thought they had, and yet it will be taken from them. And that all things will eventually be exposed. I mean, all things are going to be brought into, uh, brought into light and to be bared in the light. So the... the uh, the command here. So then, be careful how you hear. Take care on what you hear. This past week, this passage owned me. I mean, it just owned me. And when I got to that third soil, man, did the Holy Spirit show me things that I was trading intimacy with Jesus for cheap things. Good things that I just made ultimate. Things that had, things that I thought were good were actually beginning to choke me. And by His grace, He showed me these things. And I love the encouragement. The encouragement at the very end. Jesus isn't dogging His mom and His brothers. What Jesus is doing, he's calling us into intimacy here. Right? Those who hear and do my word, what are they? They are my mother and my brothers. Isn't that amazing? That is a, it is a, a, a close intimacy with the Son of God that he's called us into. 
a deep relationship with Him. So take care how you listen. I, I can't think of a better way for us to end our preaching time this morning, Christmas Eve 2017, but to take time and just reflect on what we've listened to, what we've, what we've heard, what the Word of God has spoken into our ears for those who have ears to, to hear and those who have hearts to receive. If you have received, isn't it such a good gift that we have received from the Lord? We have received such a good gift from, from the Lord. And if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, then de- delight in His joy, in His grace, and in His mercy. And experience that joy. Because the secrets of the kingdom of God, the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, has been given to you. been given to you. And I know this might sound cliche and it might even sound overdone, but this is the gift that we can enjoy not just today or tomorrow, but every day. It's, it is a gift that we enjoy every day. We enjoy the beauty and the grace of Christ daily. So this morning before the hustle and the bustleness of busyness today, And tomorrow, brothers and sisters, can we take a few moments and just take care in how we have heard and how we hear that we would have honest hearts and hold fast with patience to enjoy that gift, to delight in that gift, to give glory to the gift giver. I want to do, I want to just, I'm going to, I just want us to close our eyes and just take a few moments and think, pray, and then I'm going to close this out in prayer and then Brother Kenny come help us in our response, but I'm just going to take a few minutes. It's just quiet. Let's just take care of how we've heard the Word of God this morning and how the Spirit of God has been moving in you this morning. Father, we are so quick to transition. We're so quick to want to move on and get to the next thing. And we often miss, miss the seed of the gospel that has been spread by your word on our hearts. Father, would you teach us and show us by your grace, how to be good hearers. And I pray, God, that those who may be dealing with one of these three things, Lord, would you give them clarity in the word to repent, to be obedient. Lord, we thank you for such a wonderful gift you have given to us in your Son. Thank you so much for salvation by grace. 
Thank you for that seed that finally made it into the soil of my heart because of your sovereign will. Father, let it bear fruit. May may it bear fruit in all of our hearts and all of our lives, God, that we may be the light that is held up in our community. And the places that we go, God, that more fruit may be bared out. Help us now as we respond together. We answer these questions, Lord, together and encourage one another in them. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.